Calvary's love will sail forever, bright and shining, strong and free, like an ark of peace and safety on the sea of human need through the hours of all the ages those tired of sailing on their own finally rest inside the shadow cast by Calvary's love across their souls. Calvary's love, Calvary's love, priceless gift Christ makes us worthy of. The deepest sin can't rise above. Calvary's love, Calvary's love can heal the spirit life has crushed and cast aside and redeem till heaven's promise fills with joy once empty eyes so desire to tell the story of a love that loved enough to die burns away all other passions and fed by calvary's love becomes a fire. Calvary's love, Calvary's love, priceless gift Christ makes us worthy of. The deepest skin can't rise above. Calvary's has never faltered all its wonders still remain so still take eternal passage sins atoned and heaven gained sins atoned and heaven gained Sins atoned and heaven gained. We shall see Jesus. Just as he is. 
hoping to see him as thousands were fed. He touched the blind eyes, healed broken spirits. He moved with compassion and raised up the dead once on a hillside people were gathered watching as jesus was crucified no one showed mercy to the one who had healed them, yet Jesus loved them as he suffered and died. Once on a hillside, people were gathered for Jesus. Jesus had risen and soon would ascend. Then as he blessed them, he rose to the heavens and gave them his promise to come Jesus, just as they saw him, there is no greater promise than this. When he returns in power and glory, we shall see Jesus. We shall see Jesus just as he is. Yeah, that's good. Praise the Lord. We shall see him. Amen. We're going. He's coming back. Amen. He said he'd come. They said he'd come the first time. He was prophesied to come. He did. Uh, he said he would rise from the dead. He did. And he said he's coming back. He will. Boy, we're excited about that. John chapter 19. John chapter 19. John chapter 19. We're going to begin in verse 38 today on this Easter Sunday morning. John chapter 19, verse 38. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night 
and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred-pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices, but the manner of the Jews, as the manner of the Jews is, to bury. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein was never man laid yet. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. Now, right off the bat in the passage, we recognize, or should we say we realize and, and, and read that, and after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, after what? After this, it's talking about the crucifixion. It's talking about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ there. And after this, after Jesus died on Calvary, after Jesus suffered and, uh, suffered and bled on our behalf, now all of a sudden, after this, after that particular time, comes Joseph of Arimathea, requesting the body of Jesus, asking that he may take him down off the cross and ultimately bury him. And so here we have here there that they laid Jesus, therefore, in this particular tomb. And here he is now. Jesus goes into the tomb. Matthew chapter 27. Turn there, would you please? Matthew chapter 27. In Matthew chapter 27, we're going to begin reading in verse 62. Matthew chapter 27, verse 62. The Bible goes on to say, Now the next day that followed, the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that th that deceiver said while he was yet alive, after three days I'll rise again. Command, therefore, that this sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead. So the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, You have a watch, go your way, make it sure as ye can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. So now they go to Pilate and say, listen, these guys said that Jesus is going to rise again. And boy, I tell you what, we're going to have a mess on our hands if somehow, some way, they come along, steal the body, and then say that he resurrected. We want you to allow us to put a, a, a group of soldiers. We want you to allow us to secure the tomb. He says, you have it. It's yours. You've requested it. I've given it. Now go. Look at chapter 28 now, verses 1 through 6. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. Man, I mean to tell you, that, those, that, that, that angel came, and that stone was rolled away, and the, 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 the keepers of that particular tomb, those that were, that were designated to ensure that no disciple came and stole the body, that the stone would not be removed, they fell as dead men. They just fainted. They couldn't believe their eyes. 
They were in shock. He goes on to say, verse 4, and, and, and for fear of him the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear ye not, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. He is not here. For he is risen, as he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. Man, Jesus rose from the dead. That's why we gather today. We're together today because we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The fact that he didn't just die on the cross to pay for our sin, but he literally went into a grave and he came out three days and three nights later. And that's why we're here today. I was teaching the children in the junior church uh, just for a minute, just for a few minutes. I was actually only supposed to be leading a few songs, but I put a cross up front and I said, what's that cross represent? Oh, it represents Jesus dying on the cross. Why did Jesus die on the cross? To pay for our sin. What happened to Jesus after he came off the cross? He was buried. I said, what happened to him then? He rose again. I said, yeah. I said, that's why you're here today. We did our bus ministry yesterday. I said, that's why we've gathered you, because we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I said, now let me ask you a quick question. What is this? And they said, that's a bunny. I said, and I love bunnies. And at Easter time, bunnies are a lot of fun. But we didn't get together for the bunny today. We got together because of the most important reason for Easter. The most important reason is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we really celebrate it. You'd be surprised how many of them have never heard that. Jesus rose from the dead. That watch, they came along and said, we need a watch. We need somebody to seal up that tomb. And so the stone was sealed. Why was it sealed? What was the purpose of the stone? It was to keep Jesus in, right? No, not really. The stone wasn't put in place to keep Jesus in the tomb. He was already dead. They had no reason to believe that he would actually rise. They didn't even believe it. Matter of fact, his own disciples didn't believe it let alone the Roman soldiers, let alone the, 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 the council, the Jewish council. But no, they were concerned not about Jesus getting out. They were concerned about somebody else getting in. That was the problem. So the stone was sealed, if you will, to keep others out. Now, I think that's really a very important point when you consider that according to the Word of God, man's heart is by nature like a stone. You say, what? Yes. Ezekiel chapter 11 verse 19 says, and I will give them one heart and I will make a new spirit within them and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. The stony heart. Wait a second. Zechariah 7 12 says, yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone. That's an impenetrable stone. That's stronger or harder than diamond, an adamant stone. That's what the heart was being compared to. Wait a second now. God compares the heart of man to a stone. Why would he do that? How can he compare man's heart to a stone? 
Well, first of all, because like a stone, the heart of man is cold. Have you ever walked on a stone floor in your bare feet? Have you ever maybe gotten onto some ceramic tile in your house, maybe in a restroom or another room of the home? And man, I mean to tell you, it's cold. And for that reason, a lot of people like to put carpet on the floor, or maybe they put throw rugs down. Why? Because stones are cold. Man, you can heat up a stone, and, and you can do that for a little while, but let me tell you, it isn't very long later that, well, it's no longer warm, it's no longer hot, it's cold again. You can even heat it till it's glowing. I mean red hot, so to speak, but it'll soon lose all the warmth, and it'll return back to its natural state coldness. And that's the heart of man. That's the heart of all mankind, men and women, all all of us. That's the state of our heart. It's warm enough toward sin, mind you. It glows hot as coals toward our own lusts. But naturally, the heart is as cold as ice toward God. Then you can get a moving message by a preacher or maybe a powerful illustration or maybe some exhortation and it seems to heat up the heart for just a moment. But can I tell you, it's not long it turns back to its normal state, coldness. Not only is man's heart like a stone because of its, its cold, but it's like a stone because man's heart, the heart of man is, is hard. It's hard You know, there are some stones that are so hard that no matter how hard you pound on them, you'll leave no impression on them whatsoever. The heart of man's compared to a very hard stone. We already talked about this idea, yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts has sent in his spirit by the former prophets. Therefore come... Therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts, talking about the children of Israel at some point, the people of God. He says they made their hearts as an adamant stone. It was so hard. It was so impenetrable that even God and all his prophets and all of his attempts to reach out to them were were, were void, uh, failed. They didn't accomplish anything. They were so hard. They wouldn't hear the law. They wouldn't obey the word. Their hearts were so hard, like an adamant stone. You say, I just don't, I'm having a hard time believing that mankind's heart's so hard. Well, let me ask you this. Think about how many times sickness has attacked you in your life. Think about how death has crept into your life through family, friends, loved ones. Think about how affliction has come up against you, and yet, like Pharaoh, you said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Why should I give an inch to God? Oh, it's just that I'm, I'm not feeling well today. Wait a second. Sickness comes into our life. Affliction comes into our life. Death comes into our life, and yet we have no place for God. That's a pretty hard heart. Oh, I'll not bow down to him. 
I won't do his will. I'm my own master. I have my own pleasure. I have my own way. I'll not yield to God. There's no stone any harder than the proud heart of a man or a woman. I mean, why in the world would we, does God compare the heart of man to a stone? Because first, like a stone, the heart of man is cold. Second, like a stone, the heart of man is hard. But third, like a, uh, finally, like a stone, the heart of man is dead. It's dead. It possesses no feeling whatsoever. Talk to it. It doesn't respond. Tell it a sad story. The saddest story ever. Sheds no tears. Share the happiest story you ever could imagine. Stone never smiles. Why? Because it's dead. There's no life in it. There's no consciousness to it. You prick it, you plot it, you, 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 it's, just, it's not going to bleed. You stab it, it doesn't bleed. You, you, it never dies. It's because it's already dead. Throw it on the ground as hard as you want. It, you say, well, I cracked it in half. Yeah, but you didn't kill it because it was never alive. Oh, it's true, though, mind you. Don't, let's not forget that the, the heart does have feelings. It, it, it does. And we know that when we talk about the heart, we're talking about the seed of emotion in mankind. And, and it does. There are feelings there when it comes to natural things. But when it comes to spiritual things, the heart of man is truly dead to God. So we're said to be dead in trespasses and sins. Spiritually, the heart is powerless. It's lifeless. It's without feeling. It's without emotion when it comes to spiritual matters. The preacher may plead. He may prod. He may do his best to get our attention, but his cries often fall on deaf ears. The message of redemption and restoration is thrown to the wind. The preaching of the cross and Christ crucified falls hopelessly to the ground so often. See, the heart's dead. The heart is hard. The heart is cold in its natural state. Okay, so the heart of man is compared to a stone, and a stone's dead, hard, and cold. So what of it? So? Turn, if you would, to Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, please. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, we understand that in these chapters 2 and 3 that it's pointing to and giving us some insight into the local church, but I think there's a personal application that we can make here, obviously. Notice what the Bible says in Revelation 3, 20. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. I understand doctrinally it's talking about the church. And in the latter days, before Christ returns, he's going to be standing at the doors of churches across our nation and around the world knocking, banging on the door, seeking admission. But nobody will even hear him. Nobody will let him into the church even. 
That is what exactly is being pictured in Revelation chapter 3. But can I say today that he makes it or puts it onto a more personal level here uh, when he says, I stand at the door knock if any man hear my voice. He's saying is, is that I'm going to keep knocking and I'm going to keep seeking admission. And the fact is, is that if I can't get a hold of the church, I'm still going to be trying to get a hold of a person. And the Bible says, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. God is seeking admission into your life. God wants to be a part of your life. Not only a part, he wants to be all of your life, really. And he's saying, um, listen, I'm knocking. I'm begging you to let me in. Won't you let me in? If you'll let me in, I'll sup with you. I'll sit in fellowship with you. We'll have the time of your life together. problem is that stone problem is there's a stone that stands between you and God entering and he's saying won't you roll away the stone so that I can come in I know that doctrinally it's talking about literally the heart being stone and a need for a con complete transformation and change and that only God can bring it about. I know that. It's called regeneration. But I'll tell you in principle and in practice, it seems to me we're putting up a lot of stones and we're blocking the entrance to our heart and we're keeping God on the outside and not allowing him on the inside. And can I tell you, there's a good reason why God wants to come into your life. There's a good reason why God wants to come and sup with you and fellowship with you. You say, what's that? Turn, if you would, to John chapter 3, verse 16, please. I believe it's time to remove the stone and let Jesus in. The stone wasn't there to keep people in. It was to keep people out. And can I tell you, too many are keeping Jesus outside. Notice what the Bible says in John 3, 16 through 18. You say, why is it so important that I let him in? That's a great question. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Most people would like to stop right there. Because let's face it, God's a God of love. And all that matters is that he created us and he loves us. And therefore, he's going to make sure we all get to heaven because he sent his son for us. And he won't condemn us. He didn't come to condemn. He came to love and embrace and accept all of us. Hold on. we got to read the whole Bible. Because verse 18 is as much a part of it as John 3.16 is. Notice what he says now. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. See, God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's wonderful. How's that happen? Go back to verse 16. By believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, by putting your faith in him and what he did and his finished work on Calvary. That's how. And ultimately, he's saying, I want you to understand because him that believeth uh, on him, Jesus Christ, is not condemned. However, 
he that believeth not is, all, is condemned already. Can you imagine that? Condemned already. You say, how's that possible? You're telling me that everybody that's born into the human race is already condemned? Yes. Now let me clarify for just one moment. There's not a child in the room that would pass away that wouldn't end up in the presence of God himself. Uh, he doesn't, she doesn't understand what this thing called sin is all about. They don't have any clue as to what's going on. And God's going to take care of those precious babies. Let me say this. You and I as adults, and as we reach the age of accountability, we are put in a position where we're going to have to make some decisions. The fact is, is that we were already born into sin. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 12, please. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. So my heart is hard, it's cold, it's dead, and you're telling me I'm supposed to roll the stone away and let Jesus in. Why? Because you're already condemned, my friend. And if you're condemned, you're condemned to a fate. Watch the fate now. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. The Bible says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Have you ever heard the story of Adam and Eve? I hope you have. Probably you have. Adam and Eve, of course, were placed in the garden, and God had told them that they, they could eat of every tree of the garden except the one that was in the midst. The day that you eat of that tree, thou shalt surely die. Well, we know what they did. They ate the very fruit that they were not permitted to eat, and they were cast out of the presence of God from the Garden of Eden. They began to age, and they surely died. See, the Bible tells us that Adam was the first man to ever sin, and ever since... Every person born has been born into sin. Just like I passed down huh, my, my traits to my children, and hopefully they didn't get this one. Hopefully what they got was this one. In that same way, they, we as human beings pass sin on. Even as Adam sinned, the Bible says that he then turned around and had a child, and that child also had sin in his life. Remember Cain and Abel? We go out knocking doors and we talk to people about this issue. We often say, let me illustrate this reality. And what I usually say before, I've, I preempt it by saying, you're not a sinner because you sin, but you sin because you are a sinner. Let me help you understand that. Let me share this. I'll say, suppose there are two apple trees. One of them has a bunch of big red apples that, all over it. The other has just a couple scrawny little things at the top. Which of those are apple trees? And of course, the answer is both of them are. Makes perfect sense, right? But see, it's not how much fruit the tree produces that makes it an apple tree. It's an apple tree at the root. So I could say that the nature of that tree is that of an apple tree. Right? See, when Adam sinned, the Bible tells us that he passed that sin on to his children. They passed it on to theirs and so on. So ever since Adam sinned, every person has been born a sinner then. Whether we sin a little or whether we sin a lot, the truth is, is that we are sinners at the root. See, my nature is to sin. A sinner is what I am, not what I become. And can I tell you that's true with every single human being today? That we are already sinners because of the sin of Adam. 
You say, it's not fair. It doesn't matter. That's the way it is. And the truth is, is if you look yourself in the mirror and you'll be perfectly honest, you would have picked the wrong thing too. You would have done exactly what God told you not to do, just like Adam did. I know I would have. Because that's my nature. And the truth is that sin has been passed down now from generation to generation to generation until it's arrived even to this day. Can I tell you, the Bible says, and it's simple, he says, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. What he's saying is, is that we're already condemned to pay the price of sin. We've already had the sentence of death. And in order to fully understand that word death, we have to go all the way over to Revelation 20, verse 14, that says, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. A man, a woman will die twice in their, their, their life if, if, they, if, if they don't know Jesus Christ. You're going to die physically, one. Because, and that's proof positive that we're all sinners because everybody dies. And that's the wage of sin even. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Everybody dies because of sin. Proof positive we're all sinners. Hold on. But that word, death, goes far beyond just physical and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. That means that not only will I die physically, but I will die spiritually. That means to be totally and completely separated from God forever in a place called the lake of fire. That's a scary thought. I used to go swimming over years ago, over uh, in, in, in um, trying to think what the name of the swimming place was now, Mogador Park. There used to be a lake there, and they used to let you swim, and they had this, this dock, and then they had a, a diving board off of it. I still remember going to the top of that diving board, the highest diving board portion, probably about 10 feet off the, 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 the water, and I still remember jumping off and into that water, being totally and completely immersed in water. Can you imagine if those were flames? The Bible says that we're already condemned. to be eternally separated from God forever in a place called the lake of fire. You don't have to work at it. You don't have to try to be a good sinner because you already are one, and so am I. And here's that stone still that stands in front of my heart and keeps him out. Got to do something with the stone today. Have you ever come to the realization that you're that sinner that he died for? Because 2,000 years ago, he hung on that cross. He literally paid the penalty for our sin, death. He was buried, though, yes. But he rose again the third day. And he did that to prove to you that every promise he ever made is true. He did that to prove to you that he was who he claimed to be, God in flesh. He did that to prove to you that if you'll simply remove the stone and invite him into your life, he will come into your life and transform and change you and your heart. Roll the stone away this morning and let Jesus in. Judge Horace Gray of Boston 
who would later go on to serve as a justice on the Supreme Court, once said to a man who had escaped conviction on a technicality, he said, I know that you're guilty and you know it. And I wish you to remember that one day you will stand before a better and wiser judge and that there, and that, that, and, and, and that there you'll be dealt with according to justice and not according to the law. Can I say this? May we be reminded that man's justice is not always right, that there's, it's always subject to error. But God's justice is perfect. Sin, no sin escapes his gaze. And through punishment, although punishment is sometimes delayed, delayed because God's granting opportunity to repent, to turn from our sin and turn to him, punishment is certain. No one escapes God's justice on a technicality. Roll the stone away this morning and let Jesus Christ into your life. Accepting, he says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner today. I know I'm a sinner. I believe you died, was buried, and rose again the third day for me. I ask you to forgive my sin and come into my life and be my Savior. I'm trusting only you to take me to heaven one day because you're the only one I can trust to keep his word. I know you'll do what you said. Save me. Forgive me. Come on in, Jesus. You know what he'll do? When you do that, it's like that old, cold, stony heart will melt. And Jesus will walk right on in, take up his abode and his residency in your life, and you'll have a fellowship with the creator of the universe and your future will never be the same. Father, we come to you. We ask you, Lord, just to speak to our hearts and to work in our lives today. We thank you for just the opportunity that we had, Lord, just to consider the simplicity of your word, the, just to take a simple thought and to develop it in a way that reminds us of our great need of Jesus Christ in our life. Today in this crowd, there may be those who have yet to remove the stone, that have still let it stand in front of their heart and keep Jesus out. Maybe that stone is represented by a relationship that they're unwilling to give up. Maybe it's a sin that they're holding on to. Lord, I don't know what that stone represents, but I know that the heart of man is so cold. It's, it, it's, it's so dead. It's so hard. And Lord, so often we just don't want to let you in for fear of what that trans formation will look like. Oh God, help us not to be concerned about what will happen, but know that you are going to make it better than we can ever even dream. Father, bless now. Lord, if there's someone here that needs to invite Christ into their life, may you just help them to make that conscious decision today. May they be willing, Father, in just a moment to literally even leave a seed and come forward and let someone take the word of God and show them a couple simple Bible truths and they can accept and receive Christ as we've already outlined and spoke about. Father, I pray that you do that work. And Lord, for the believer today, may we never allow our hearts to grow cold or hard.
Help us, Lord, to stay tender toward you. We'll thank you. We'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, please.